Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcasters Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the Podcasters Playbook. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Black Wealth Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You shouldn't even get this tape. Hey. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do. Have kids, go live my chip and joy in the game's life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellar, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host, fellas. How y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Feeling good, feeling great, man. This Saturday, just got some high energy, man. Got our sister yeah. on here that I can't wait to get 
really just get deep into what's going on, bro. But before that, I'm going to let my brother Jared introduce himself. Man, what's good? What's good? This is your boy Jared. Another fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, man. I'm just happy to be here again this Saturday, man. I've been working and stuff. They had me caught up for a couple of episodes, but I'm back. Yeah, ready man. to get into this episode. And from what I researched about our new guest, man, it's going to be a great, great episode. Man, to be honest, dog, Pressure. this is a phenomenal woman. Yeah? Like, I might as well just go ahead and introduce her, I guess, y'all. On this week's episode, like I said, we got a phenomenal woman from the boot, uh, originally from New Orleans, and she was at there with us in Lafayette. She's a real estate developer, mm. CEO of Cache Real Estate. Mm. She's an agent. She's doing private equity deals. She got man, she really capital equity. She really, she really building generational wealth. This man. woman really embodies the word resilience, Thanks. y'all. Like, man, and I just can't, like, I'm, yeah, man. Oh, sister, man. Terrica Smith. Smith. Yeah, Terrica, how you doing? Hey, y'all. Thank y'all for having me, man. It's such an honor to be here. You know, with Black Wealth Renaissance, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just honored. Like, this is crazy. But, you know, I think it's going to be an amazing show. And I just can't wait till we dive into it, you know? Uh, thank well, you so much. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah, you are the We know you got a busy a busy schedule. <laughs> yeah, and you the embodiment of what this movement is all about, like doing the work and really building generational wealth. So we can't wait to dive into it. And with that being said, for anybody who doesn't know any of our following, who doesn't really know who you are, can you just give them a brief background of like who you are and how you got started into real estate? Yeah, no, no doubt. My name is Terrica Lynn Smith. Guys, for those of you who don't know me, I've been in real estate for over 15 years. I started out with nothing. (laughs) I came from New Orleans, Louisiana, shortly after Hurricane Katrina, being trapped in the city for three days. Before even any of that, you know, I was in foster care. I was abused at an early age. A lot of you guys may or may not know my story, but I did not have an easy path. So what you see today is completely night and day from where I started at, you know, but fast forward to today, I'm a real estate developer, one of the co-founders of Salt Capital Equity Group, one of the largest real estate crowdfunding platforms in the state of Louisiana along with being a real estate broker for Real Broker LLC and the CEO of Cache Real Estate, where we have a mix of 23 different realtors throughout the state. So I am honored to be here with you guys. And thank you, thank you, thank you for having me once again. Hey, I love it. I love it. And I know you you, you want to go just into your journey because like the beginning of it all, like I want to go from the beginning because your story, like you said, is not what people see today. So right. can we go back and like just walk people through them humble beginnings? Yeah, they right. see the diamond, the diamond that's shining right now, but we got to go back. <laughs> Wasn't to always new... shining, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, for those who don't know my story, I was abused at the age of five years old. You know, my mother gave me over to her drug dealer to settle her debt. You know, my innocent was taken from me forcefully. And through that, it sent me through a spiral effect of you know, anger and resentment and feeling inadequate and honestly just feeling like I don't even want to be here, you know, and eventually ending up into foster care and going from home to home, not having nobody to want me because I had so many walls built up and I had so much hurt going on and I didn't want to allow people to hurt me again. So I did what I knew best, you know, I protected myself and I didn't allow nobody in. And eventually I ended up as what they would call, you know, a statistic. I ended up pregnant at the age of 16 years old. 
I spent the night up under the Claiborne Bridge with my son. Once I had him at 17, you know, I was homeless. And I just realized, you know, I just don't want to, I don't want to keep going through hell for the rest of my life. Like there has to be something better in life than just being poor and struggling every single month and not having no money in the bank account and not being able to provide a roof over your child head. And what I realized was that I had to go and forgive the person that hurted me the most Mm -hmm. so I can start moving forward with my life. So it wasn't until I looked my mother in the face and I said, I forgive you. I forgive you for all the hell you imposed on me. You tried to break me, but I'm not broken. You did everything you could to tear me down, but I'm still here. And that was a freeing moment for me. That was a moment where I took back control of my life. That was the moment I said, I'm Tarika Lynn Smith. I'm somebody. I may not be nobody to nobody else, but to Tarika Lynn Smith, I have to be somebody because this little boy didn't ask to be here. I have to be the one to take care of him or he's going to end up in foster care like I was. And he's going to be on runaway like I was. And he's going to be going through all this type of hell and the cycle would never end. So I had to make a decision to say, look, because somebody did harm to me, because somebody else had ugly in them, I shouldn't allow that to continue to live through me because now I'm passing all that ugly on to my own children. And so that was a moment for me to say, I'm done. I am done being a victim. I don't want to be the victim no more. Yes. You know, my mother hurt me to my soul. That right there is one of the hardest moments I had to get through through my life to tell somebody who I did nothing wrong to, nothing wrong to that I forgive her. That was hard as hell. Like that ain't no easy feat. Like people think forgiveness is easy, but try being five years old and having to forgive the person who gave away your innocence, you know? And for me, that was a moment to say, okay, all right, bet. I got to do this for Tariq. I can't do this for Tarika Lynn Smith no more because Tariq Quinteria Smith is going to end up just like Tarika Lynn Smith, homeless, nobody to call, nowhere to go, you know? And so we have to, we have to become victors in our life, no matter what the hell is we've been through, no matter how hard it is, no matter how bad it hurt. Like if we want true freedom, if we want the abundance that is promised to us, then we have to forgive the ones who caused the hurt and the pain upon us. So again, that's kind of like the nutshell of it. (laughs) And it's like, that's something so deep though, because I think it's more than just, I see that just speaking to our whole community and some people might not have experienced it as deep as you, but they mm-hmm. still might have had abusive parents and parents who's done, who they feel like didn't right. do the best that they could have done in our community. And right. I think that's the reason that a lot of us, we're not able to move forward and really able to prosper as we should, because we're holding on to some of that hurt and that anguish and that hate and just feeling like, you know, I'm not good enough because the person that brought this life to me, they didn't even see the value in me. And I think that's mm-hmm. so powerful that you are able to overcome that. Mm-hmm. And I just want to ask, like, how was that mentally for you overcoming that, though? Like, what did you really have to do to process that? Did you have to go to, like, some type of counseling? Like, was it like a, just a self-realization? Look, I didn't have counseling, to be honest. Like, I ain't have counseling. 
If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. I just had myself and I had my situation. And my situation, honestly, was big enough to say, I got to do something different. Like, the reason why I'm homeless is because I pushed everybody away. Couldn't nobody tell me nothing because at the age of five years old, I had to become an adult. But look what it has gotten me, right? So people want to love me and people want to come into my life, but I got this 10-foot wall up, you know, and they got caution on it. Everybody is suspect, right? Mm -hmm. I don't trust nobody. And that thinking is what kept me in bondage. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I had to say, yo, like, this is why I'm here because I can remember thinking about the people who was trying to help me. Like, I'm not going to sit here and laugh and be like, yo, nobody was, no, I ain't want nobody. I felt unlovable. I felt unworthy. And those feelings is what got me there. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, at that age. And you have to think about it. When you are forced to become an adult at the age of five years old, you start telling yourself adult things at a very early age. You know, you leave your child in the house for days at a time. My mom would be gone for days at a time. So I would have to cook. I would have to clean. Like I had these common sense things that I had Mm -hmm. to do to be able to survive. There was a point in time where me and my sisters, we ate grass just to stay alive. We literally ate grass. I remember my sister laying on the sofa and she was crying because my mother been gone for days. She never came back. We didn't have no power. We didn't have no work. We have nothing in the house. Pitch black. Imagine a little bitty tiny house. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And you got your three kids in there and we hungry as hell. And she said, y'all better not go outside. Y'all better not go outside. So you know what happened if you go outside. Mm -hmm. She catch you, the neighbors see you back in the day. They all talk. Guess what? Your butt is grass. They gonna bust your behind. But I knew even at that age, y'all, at that age, I said, look, if I don't go get something to eat, we're going to starve in here. We're going to starve. And I ran outside. Look, that sun hit me because I haven't seen daylight in so many days because we've been in a dark house. We didn't have no power. And so I'm running as fast as I could. My heart is beating uncontrollably out my chest. I'm like, oh, God, please don't let this woman come back, please. And sure enough, I grabbed the first thing I seen, two handfuls of grass, and I ran back inside, and my heart is panting. And my baby sister is like, I am not eating that. And I said, if you don't eat it, you're going to die. So I knew under that bridge, I already had common sense, because that child at that age had to have common sense. That child at that age had to be an adult, because there was no adult there. Mm. So being under that bridge, I knew that the anger I had towards my mother, the feelings I had of wanting her dead and I wish somebody would just kill her, like all of this anger and rage is what ended me here. So I'm thinking of all the people that was trying to help me along the way, but because I couldn't trust them, because I've been hurt, I pushed everybody away. So I said, if I don't, like, if I can't forgive then I'll never be able to let nobody get close to me. Mm, So that moment right there, like being homeless with my son, I'm crying because now I have tears of failure. Every single tear that fell down my face represented something personal to me. You know, inadequacies, abandonment issues. Every single tear I had fall down my cheek 
hit me. It hit me internally. And I knew that I had to, I had to say, yo, this is it. <laughs> like, this is the worst you can possibly be in your life. And when people say, who was your mentor? I said, homelessness. Mm. Mm. Homelessness was my mentor. Because when I looked around under that Claiborne Bridge, nobody looked like me. Wow. At that, age, at that age, I knew I was better than who I was at that current position. And although my reality showed me that I was homeless, like that's the reality, right? Mm -hmm. Like you homeless, girl, you and your baby here, these men could take advantage of you. You're a young teenage mom, right? But I could not believe the reality in my head. It was just what my eyes seen. So inside my head, I'm already making the decisions to take me from the place that I'm at right now. Because if I get caught up in where I'm at, I'll still be up under that bridge. Mm -hmm. If I was to stay a victim, I'll still be up under that bridge. It's everybody else's fault I got hurt. Nobody in my family wanted me, so I ended up in foster care. If I kept that mindset, the victim mindset, mm -hmm. I would still be up under that bridge blaming everybody else. Sometimes, and this is hard, but sometimes we have to recognize that we can become a victor just by forgiveness. Mm. that is that's powerful because you and you said it multiple times in that that taking your mindset from that being the victim to the victor and i just i think that's very important for a lot of our people to really look like look at with your own life like even i'm thinking myself you know like looking mm -hmm. in your own situation where are you playing the victim and where are you allowing yourself to be the victor so when you under that bridge and you like finally you got this vision what was like your first steps mm -hmm. away from that so look, this is when you become a victor, right? I had no money. I just had a food stamp card that I knew I was going to get food stamps on. So I'm literally, literally making phone calls from a pay phone, okay? Calling ads in the newspaper saying, can you allow me to move in? I don't have no money right now, but this is what I can give you. That's illegal. That's, That's illegal to offer yeah. your food stamp card, right? But desperate times calls for desperate situations. Yep. And so for me, you know, I had one guy that answered um, and I wrote this in my book, my life story. Right. And he answered the phone and he said, um, I'm not going to take your food stamps. He said, but I can't see you and your child homeless anymore. Like I can't see you homeless. He said, I have a unit. It may not be the best, but I'll let you stay in there. And when you start working and when you start getting on your feet, then I'll allow you to start paying me rent. Don't give me no food stamps. That was my first hand up in life, I feel, that mm -hmm. I accepted. I wasn't too proud. <laughs> I took it. Mm -hmm. And when I got into that apartment, I became grateful of all the small things that I wasn't really paying attention to. Like throughout all the hell and adversity that I was going through, I remember those small little blessings along the way that reminded me. That something, uh, something more powerful than me was still in control of my current situation mm. when I look mm. around. And so, you know, coming into that apartment and, you know, finally having a roof over my head, I still had to struggle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't mm -hmm. all of a sudden get easy. All right. Like it, the light bill everything. people. Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, like the light bill people don't <laughs> care that you, you they don't care about nothing, right? They want them tokens, okay? So I still had struggles, you know, but in that apartment complex, it was a whole community of people in New Orleans that just looked out for you. 
I left my son with strangers to go work at the temp service to sit out there for three o'clock in the freaking morning, hoping they would give me some work. But I wanted it so bad. Mm -hmm. I wanted it so bad. And then in foster care, they have organizations, once you age out, that still give some type of financial assistance. But you got to be there at the wee hours of the morning. And it ain't guaranteed. But by all means, I'm there. You was there. Yeah. I'm there. That's it. You know what I'm saying? And guess what? It was never a point where I was at the temp service and I didn't get no work. I always got work. I think it's because I showed up expecting you know, when I went to Catholic charities that helped the foster care youth, I went there expecting that they were going to give me some tokens. How else am I going to pay my life? Bill? I don't got no money. Hmm. So they got to do something to help me. Now, that's yeah. just my thinking. That's not what was real. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But that was my thinking process. And I think that thinking process kept me going along the way. Hmm. I, I think that thinking process, though, speaks to your faith, like you said. Because like you said, whenever there was these small things that would happen, those are the things that kept you knowing that, you know, God is with me mm -hmm. because, and I had wanted to ask you that because sometimes people, they go through these things and they find these themselves in these positions and they just lose faith in everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you touched on, you know, this is what kept me going because, you know, even though it's as bad as we can see it, there's always a little glimmer of light, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm still watching out for you. This is just a test to see what you're going to really become. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yes. So, Terrica, mm -hmm. you, you, you were in the house. You started working. I mean, you making it happen. When did you come into real estate? Like, when was that part of your journey? Ah, that's a funny story. All right. So, right after Hurricane Katrina, I was like, I, pr I prayed. I'm like, because I don't know if you guys know, but... Hurricane Katrina felt like the end of the world. Like I didn't, I thought everybody, Orleans. yeah, I thought everybody was going through this. I ain't know it was just New Orleans folks. And you know what's crazy? We, we like, had it kind of bad, but not bad right, like y'all. Like right, in right. Opelousas, we lost area, lights. Like the 337, it, I just remember it being windy and rainy. Yeah, and we lost rainy. lights and like we didn't have water for like a day. But what y'all were experiencing, once we heard the news, we're like, oh my God. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Like I remember. All right, so let's just talk about Katrina real quick, right? Yeah, let's go so, yeah, the day before, let me tell y'all how crazy life is. I had no clue what perishable items were. Mm. Like, nobody just never told us that. Mm. So they're like, yo, y'all need to go get y'all perishable items. And I'm like, all right, cool. So look, I'm going to get pork chops. I'm going to get all kind of stuff. I have no clue what perishable items is, but I'm like, yo, we're going to be stuck in here for a few days. I need to make sure we eating good, okay? Yeah. Now, the, obviously they ain't perishable items okay yeah. but the night Katrina came it was like a train coming like it was it got serious and what a lot of people don't realize and I just want to say this for the world to know people didn't just stay in New Orleans because they love New Orleans we stayed because we were poor and we didn't have no money and then they right before Katrina they had us evacuate for another hurricane so if you don't got money and you already evacuated and now they saying another hurricane come and you got to evacuate again. Mm -hmm. You like, yo, I'm gonna ride this one out. That shit. And that's man. what we did. Like the last <laughs> you know, one and all that. I'm, a, I'm staying. Yeah. And then if you did have the resources, you done already burned it for the first trip. Yes, that's it. You know. So I'm like, all right. So then 
it's not like a train about to just straight hit our apartment complex. It's like a loud, loud, loud whistle, like the loudest thing I ever heard. And I remember my body shaking on the inside, like, I'm about to die. Like, you can't go nowhere. Like, it's kind of that feeling where you just want to get out of your skin. Like, what the hell is going on right now, you know? And they had this huge tree behind the apartment building, hit the apartment complex. Bow! And it was like, <laughs> like, then it got real, right? Mm-hmm. So the next morning, because when you hear things falling, you got to get into a safe place in the bathroom, in the bathtub, and you just got to put your head down. You got to wait, right? You got to pray nothing mm-hmm. come through. The next morning we wake up, the whole entire area is a wreck. And so now you hear people on the back of the truck saying, leave the city, it's about to flood. And you're like, boy, first of all, I'm not a I'm going to get out of here. I don't know how to swim. That's my first thought. Like, I'm about to drown, okay? Like, I'm not even about to put up a fight no more because homegirl can't swim. Her kids can't swim. Nobody around me could swim, okay? Then all of a sudden, power lines start hitting the ground and fires start breaking out. Fires everywhere. So now you got to be careful. I'm like, God, I know that this is the rapture and you you have not come and taken me. But I promise you, if I make it through this, for the next hurricane ever in history, no matter what part of the world I'm in, I'm flying out of here and I'm taking my whole entire family with me. Please, God, just get us from this situation. My husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he was ciphering gasoline out of a car with a water hose to get gas because none of the gas stations was operable. This was before social media. So while he's ciphering gasoline, trying to put it into another car to get us to safety, he here. His mother and sisters and his family is trapped on top of the roof. Damn. Gator swimming. Gator swimming. So it's like, it was like hell. So I was like, all right, I can't like, ooh, this is too much. So we made it through Katrina. We ended up in a city called Lafayette, Louisiana. I ain't know nobody in Lafayette, Louisiana. I knew zero people. Okay. But what I did know is it took us five days to get from New Orleans to Bow Bridge. What? Five days. God Y'all damn. kept siphoning gas to get. No, 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 no. Traffic. It wouldn't Y'all move. There's a traffic, bro. Yeah. I-10. I-10. Yeah. You could not like, you couldn't go nowhere. Mm-mm. People was literally sitting on top of their cars, which is called the Chapalaya. I didn't know that. Right. I just knew we was sitting on top of something that kept moving. Okay, that's what that's all we knew, right? Literally laid out on top of their cars taking naps because it was damn tight. You could not go nowhere. So after all those days of trying to get to the next city, right? We made it to Lafayette, Louisiana. And I'm like, all right, before I was homeless with my son, before I became pregnant, I was selling magazines on the road going door to door. And I would ask people, yo, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? And they'll be like, oh, I'm in real estate. Oh, I'm in real estate. So that was something that always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Lafayette, Louisiana, I'm like, I got to find something to do, to do. Like, I need a career. So I was like, I'll get started in real estate. So I went to real estate school, y'all. I had no clue what that's talking about. Nobody in my family talked about interest rates. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about mortgage. Like, they talked about none of this stuff. So I'm sitting in class, and this language is foreign to me. I have no clue about this First language. Side, okay? type of stuff, yeah. So I'm the one in class, like, what is an encroachment? What is a mortgage? What are interest rates? Like, you have to ask these questions. Yeah, look, look, I knew one thing. Whatever was before me, 
it have to be better than what's been behind me. That's mm-hmm. what I did know. <laughs> it got to be way better. So if I got to ask questions, David, to get to where I need to be, guess what? I'm going to ask a million oh, other no. questions. Okay? <laughs> so I'm sitting in class, y'all. I felt that test not once, not twice, but seven times. Seven times. I remember going to the real estate commission in Baton Rouge, and then they got one in Lake Charles. Not the commission, the exam place. One in Baton Rouge, one in Lake Charles. Y'all both know they about 45 minutes mm-hmm. to an hour Each away. Mm-hmm. Either way, right? And every time I felt I'm coming back crying, it's not boogers into the, I hate real estate. I ain't gonna never do it. And then you know what? I'm back on the phone, PSI. Yes, I would like to schedule my, please. <laughs> They're like, you know, it's $100. I'm like, yep. And then I, and then I gotta go $100 to go retake the test because I didn't have a lot of money again. So finally, after the second time of passing, I'm like, yes, I just passed my real estate exam and now I'm about to go be rich in real estate. And guess what? The first year I did $5,000 in sales and I think it was pity sales. Like I think people felt bad for me. Okay. Mm. Like realtors would give me the worst of the worst properties. And I'll be like, Oh yes, I got to listen. I got to listen. I'm so excited. And then eventually I realized this in certain areas, you gotta, like, if you don't have a certain last name, Mm. you're not going to get that type of business that you're expecting. So I was not a Boudreaux. I was not a Thibodeau. No. I was not a Kali Saloon or Ambassador Capper. I wasn't none of those people, okay? Mm-hmm. I just was Terrica Lynn Smith. But I picked up real quick that the ones who were having this massive amount of success had some type of legacy behind them that made it a lot easier than what it was for me. Mm-hmm. So I went to my grassroots. I started back knocking on doors. Boom, boom, boom. I was the realtor that would knock on doors and ask you to put your property on the market. I was unapologetic. I was unafraid and I was not embarrassed. So you pull it up on like distressed properties alone or just area property? No, anybody at the time, anybody at the time they had a for sale by owner sign New York. Okay. Hi, Miss Jones. My name is Terrica Lynn Smith. I see you have your property for sale. Do you have 10, 15 minutes to let me give you a recap of what's going on in your neighborhood and the marketplace? Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm with Century 21 Gateway. I am a real estate agent. A real estate agent knocking on the door? Yes, ma'am. Yep. Uh-huh. Why would I choose you? Because I'm standing right here. I know your first name. I did the research in the area and I have the time. Anybody mm-hmm. else is going to treat you like a number. Come on in, chef. <laughs> that's how yep. it went. Now that's boss. Just, that's that drive and that motivation. <laughs> like she said, unapologetic. <laughs> Look, you know, you got to be. Look, they no permission, no permission needed. Just go and do it. Mm, I love it. And so that was year two that you did that? Yes. What yes. was the sales like in year two? So year two, I ended up becoming the top producing agent for the company, earning a Ruby Award. Hold on. Love it here, man. Man. Number from... From victim to victim, man. (laughs) That's got to be the name of the episode. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Man, that's amazing. And I just love the tenacity and like you really just, you saw what other people weren't willing to do also though. And that made you stand out to them. Like, why should I pick you? Because I'm here. I know you. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing what everyone is not willing to do. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to go above and beyond for you, which I'm pretty sure you did. 
Yes. Oh, yes. And so what happens is this, though. I realized the market, y'all, that I was competing in, it had way too many people competing. So I'm from the streets, right? Sometimes you just got to take a step back, observe, and see where the gap is. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I got to find my own niche. Everybody else look the same right now. In order to be number one, I have to be I. I have to be I. How can I make myself odd in this marketplace? Mm -hmm. I said, nobody's focusing on investors. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Ooh. So then I'm like, all right, how can you get an investor, Tarika? I don't know none. Again, I don't know nobody, right? But I'm not going to let that be my crutch because I don't know nobody. Hmm. So I went to a grocery store one time and somebody was fussing and complaining. It was like, go get me the manager. And then the little register person kind of was trying to be small. was like, how about I get you the owner? And I was like, okay. I'm <laughs> I like this. that. <laughs> so then, you know, the owner came back. He looked like he was Indian or whatever the case may be. And he dealt with the situation. So I went into another store just to test the theory, right? And I test the owner here and they said, yeah, let me go get him. And I was like, oh, I found something. So then I went back and I said, I introduced myself to the first store owner. I said, hey, my name is Tara Colleen Smith. I'm 6321 and I would like to be your realtor. I would like to help you grow your investment portfolio. Well, how do you know I'm an investor? Well, because you're on this, this gas station. Mm -hmm. mm. So and he's like, well, actually, I am looking for other properties. I said, let me do this. I'll work for you for free on the first deal. I'll prove myself to you. And all I ask in return is for you to continue to use me. I still work with those same investors to this day. To this day. And guess what? One rich person knows another rich person Always. that knows another rich person that knows another rich person. So now, you know, they have this thing of, wait. You just did that and you did this. And he was like, look, you got to talk with my girl, Tarika. You got to talk with her. And I'm like, yeah, you got to talk with me. <laughs> hey, Don't talk to me, you know? Find your own niche within the local market. But let me tell you, it gets even better. I realized that I was doing all of the work and all of the work. So it went from me finding their gas stations to me designing houses for them picking out pink colors and flooring on all of these flips, right? I'm helping them make a ton of money, okay? And I ain't even tripping. But one day I'm sitting at the closing table and the attorney says, so are you the person that designed the property? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, I need to talk to you because I got a few houses I would like. Small thinking. I'm thinking as a realtor, oh yes, I'm about to get another 3%. Mm. And he asked me to pass this check on over to my client. It was six figures. Oh, oh wow. Ooh. Now, I'm not one that's greedy, but I'm also not a fool. So I was like, I ain't saying nothing. I just paid attention. So I passed him his check. We shook it up. We still, like, we still 100 to this day. I'm not lying mm -hmm. to you guys. We still 100. I passed him his check. That was the last day I ever worked for 3% again. 
But because you understood after that point. So then I said, when my investors came back to me, they was like, all right, we about to do another house tea. I'm like, yes, we are. But you're <laughs> going to give me 50%. What was that? What was their reaction? Yeah. How was the reaction? Yeah. Oh, that, oh, I'm about to say 50%. You don't even got money. I lost all my investors but one, y'all. I was okay with that. I was okay with that because I knew that I can go make 3% if I needed it. Hmm. I was okay with that. And one investor stood with me and he said, well, look, to tell you the truth, I don't know how to do what you're doing. And I'm not about to get in here and deal with these properties like that. I'm not about to design it. Like I'm not about to do any of that. You do all of that anyway. I'm okay with giving you 50%. So he gave me 50%. That was my first six figure check ever, ever. Okay. And so now I'm getting five and six figure checks. It went from being three figures and four figures to five and six figures. It's a huge all because, Yes. All because I was like, I'm not doing this no more. Mm. That's Realize your value in the situation. Thank you. Thank you, Jared. Yes. And I love it because it all came from you initially doing the stuff that nobody ever wants to do. And that's going and working. Putting in the work. Putting in the work. And proving yourself. And then you just, I'm pretty sure you learn these things from these people while working with them. That's right. And I'm, I'm you're pretty sure you just taught some of that stuff to yourself. You, yeah, but man, that's crazy with it. So I want to ask you, I'm just thinking on it. Once you go from those three and four figure checks to those five figure checks, how was that, and six that transition for you? Because I know <laughs> like once you start seeing that much more come in, it's a whole different process now. Like now you got to manage your money at a different level. Cause I'm pretty sure like I'm used to three or four figures. I got more to spend. That's what most people think. Yeah. Let me tell you this. I didn't know how to manage three figures, four figures, five figures or six figures. Mm. I did not know how, no matter how much money I was making, I still was poor. Mm. I still was poor. Damn. Mm. No matter how much money I was making, I still was poor. I still was living paycheck to paycheck. Where can you go make, you know, $100,000 on a deal and then you look six months later and don't know where the money is? Damn. I don't know. I don't know too many places where you could go do that. Exactly. Right. And so what I would say is this, you know. You was living like a rapper. (laughs) (laughs) I was living poor. I had nice cars. I had all this. We was taking vacations. We was living it up at Root Chris. I'm over at Lester's. I'm all over the place. Okay. Look, giving my family the stuff they never had before. You know, look, you heard the song, right? I'm acting like a female that never had nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's how I was spending. Again, you got to step back. You got to assess the situation and you got to see where it's weak at, where it's broken at. And I was broken in my mindset. Nobody Mm. never taught me financial literacy. So I taught myself financial literacy. I taught myself that the type of spending I'm doing, I would, I will always be poor. I would never make enough money to keep up with how fast I spend money. Mm -hmm. So when was the aha moment? mm -hmm. When did that happen? That happened whenever I looked back and I couldn't find out what a hundred thousand dollars went. I cannot figure it out. Like, I, don't, I had nothing to show for it. I mean, of course I had, like, you know what I'm saying? I had some Gucci boots. You know, I had some stuff, but yeah, it wasn't but like, look, at this point, I don't even like you Gucci boots no more. I want my money back. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I was, like, salty, like, what my money? But I didn't know, y'all. Like, I didn't have no financial literacy, and people are embarrassed to say that, but 
like I said, nobody was talking about real estate when I was growing up. I had no clue. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about financial literacy in our communities. We're doing a better job of it now because you got platforms such as you guys that's educating the community. But how many people are really taking the time to digest exactly the post that you're putting out there? Not a lot. I'll tell you this. I know for sure the more informative posts, they do less than the people when we just talking about some BS. That's right. That's right. People, and including myself, right? Like we are comfortable with what we know. Mm-hmm. It becomes uncomfortable when we don't know it, mm. right? And I remember <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm ready to go do a property on my own. And my banker was like, okay, Terrica, we'll look out for you, right? And so he was like, fill out this personal financial statement. And I'm like, I ain't going to tell him I don't know what it is. So I go home. I'm Googling it. I'm YouTubing it. I don't understand this. It's like money coming in and money coming out. And I'm like, yo, I don't know how to do this. So I'm going to just try to rig it up. And hopefully he don't pay attention to this form. He said, Tarika, um, I'm going to resend it to you. I think you probably made a few typos on it. I thought, oh, okay, okay, okay. He sent it back to me. I did the same exact thing. But I fixed the little numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Sent it back to him. He called me. He said, Tarika, do you not know how to fill out a personal financial statement? Yo, I was a real estate broker. He said, no, nobody never taught me. He said, how about we go to coffee and I teach you how to fill this out? He said, if you want to be a millionaire, you have to know where your liabilities and assets lie. And right now you have no clue what's going on. I said, okay. So he took me out to coffee and he showed me how to do it. And from there, I do it every single month, every single month. I'm tracking liabilities, assets, liabilities, assets. And now I understand how to do a personal financial statement. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I love the fact that he took that step and invested into you to want to see you win. Yes, he did. I'm forever grateful. I'm forever grateful. Let me tell you something. I read on the internet a few days ago that networking can put you in rooms that, you know, education or something like that won't mm-hmm. or something like that. So I read that. Right. And I thought about the relationship that I have with my banker. Like this bank would write me a check for a million dollars right now if I asked. But it's because I sent before I was like making all this money or whatever in real estate, I would send them every last one of my investors as a realtor. And I would go to the bank and I would have conversations with them and I would know all of the teller names. And whenever my account was negative and overdrawn, they would call me and say, Miss Smith, do you have some money to put in here? We don't want to hit you with the late fees. Hmm. Them relationships. That's what built <laughs> And, and that's, you, that's, you already know what I'm on. That's a it. transformative relationship, though. Like, that's not just transactional. Like, you could have just right. been there every time I'm just trying to close a deal. But you actually knew those people. And they wanted to see you win as much as you wanted to see them win. Jalen, they loaned me money and my credit score was 580. Damn. They don't. Oh, they did it off of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship. Like. Everything on paper, I was not supposed to get no money from a bank. They did it based off of the relationship. Mm. Years of me sending people there, years of me being Terrica, you know, speaking to everybody, you know, even a janitor, just talking to everybody. I'll have a conversation with anybody if you put me in a room with them, you know, and that right there is what allowed me to be able to get a a loan from them. Now they'll write me a check, like I said, for a million dollars, no issue. Hmm. That's powerful. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? 
maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms well good news i created a course just for you it'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey it's called the podcaster's playbook and it's a total master class taught by me showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the black wealth renaissance podcast swipe up now click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the podcaster's playbook so after you know you got your personal financial statements and your personal financial situation together what was it like your very first investment property on your own oh. Well, so the very first, first property I bought was my rental property, which I did not use a bank. I used my tax return for $5,000. Okay. And I bought this ugly huckleberry, me and my husband, three bedrooms, one bath, y'all. It was ugly. It was on South Orange Street. I still have that house. Shout out to my tenants who still rock with me. (laughs) I love y'all. Okay. It's a cute house now. But at the time it was an ugly house. And I mean, me and my husband would go to Family Dollar and buy that pill and stick form. We did what we needed to do to make that house get work, like ready. Mm-hmm. That's the first property that we ever owned together that I was able to pledge at that bank and let them use it as collateral. Mm-hmm. So you got it for $4,500. You got it. How'd you get it for that? Like a wholesale? Deal? I bought it for $5,000. Yeah. So I had a wholesaler call me, say, hey. Um, we have a property. It's really bad. And I was just going to sell it to one of my investors. And I was like, cause I don't have no money, but I'm like, yo, I got my taxes coming in. So I'm like calculating all my little tokens and stuff. I used that $5,000 tax return. I said, you know what? I'm going to buy the property and I'm going to keep it. I fixed that property up. I put $3,000 into it, y'all, my tax return and my real estate commission check. $8,000. Sent that sucker, got it appraised, $60,000. What? Hello. Mm. And you was using peeling stick? <laughs> Look, it was nice though. I'm telling y'all, like we literally glued that sucker down where it was nice. Like that's starting where you at and really just getting into the game. That's it. Start where you at and stop trying to make it pretty. Everybody be stunting and stuff like yo, I got like 150 doors. You can do it too. Look, I had one door that was five thousand dollars. I put three thousand dollars into it and guess what (laughs) that's how i got my start i ain't have a whole lot of doors and i still got that property that property is my humble beginning you know because if i would have never did that then i wouldn't have started investing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and i I heard you mention something i heard you mention something too about like a portion as far as like leveraging the property so can Mm -hmm. you speak a little bit further about how you did that and explain that for any followers that might be interested Absolutely. So what happens is now I have a property that's worth $60,000. So no matter what I pay for it and what I put into it, if it's worth that much. So when I'm talking with my banker, he's like, do you have any properties? And I'm like, yeah, I got a little house that's paid for. And when they appraised it, it appraised for $60,000. Well, if the bank is going to give you 80% of that value, what is 80% of $60,000, y'all? Shit, yeah, that's what? $50,000? No, a little less than fifty, huh? Yeah, $48,000. So let me ask you a question. How much money do you need if the bank say, look, you need 20% to put down property. And I'm looking at a property for $225,000. $225,000 times 20%. What's the math on that? I love y'all. Yeah, I got it. $45,000. 
Okay. And right how much they gave be. me? How much they gave me? 48. Okay. In there. Yeah. Yeah. So you came out winning. You still had a little extra love. Yeah. And look, I did that with my little, look, my little $8,000 investment. I was all in. I was mm. all in. Mm. And when you all in, you know what I'm saying? You ain't focused on what the left is doing and what the right is doing. All you focus on is what you're doing. Mm. You have to be all in for yourself or nobody else is going to be all in for you. And if you look into the left and you look into the right, you're distracted. You have to stay focused with what you have in front of you. Everybody else may look like they're doing way more than you. Everybody else may look like they're on a higher platform than you. Everybody else's bank accounts may look yours and they got all of these relationships and all of these people rock with them but when you look at yourself straight up and down and you've been 100 with yourself and you like look we got to get it we got to stay focused then your attention is not going to be doing this no more it's mm. going to be doing this mm. just work got them blind as long as you're in your lane you'll never run out of gas you'll never run out of gas as long as you stay in your lane message <laughs> i had to hit him with <laughs> that's a bar so you take that money, you getting, so you start, you use the burn method and you start, you flipping now or you get into that other property and you start buying and holding? No. So I did a flip right afterwards and then I bought some doors that I held on to. And eventually that's what led me into developing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I seen empty lots and subdivisions and I'll just go build a new construction house and then I'll sell it. Then I go do another one. And then I did a small little development. Then I did another little development. Then I'm like, you know what? I want to do a big development. And that led to Madeline Cole. That led to Madeline Cole, right? We got to talk about that. (laughs) We got to talk about that. Yeah. So when they came out with the Opportunity Zone Act, I was like, yo, people are upset because they think only the rich can benefit off of this. Again, when you're in your lane, you will not run out of gas, right? Like, yo, this is the vehicle we need to prevent gentrification. Hmm. This is the vehicle we need to stop what's going on in our own communities. Who else better to come into our own communities than us who understands the pain points of what's going on in the communities? Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. understand what we need. We understand what we don't want. So why why not us get together and go do it? So I'm like, all right, I got a lot of investors. Over the years, I've been built tons of relationships, right? And so finally, I was like, um, I started talking to all my normal investors who I've made millions for, y'all mm-hmm. millions. They start looking at me with a side eye. Like, why you want to invest over there? Mm-hmm. Like, what you mean over there? You don't have a problem flipping a property over there to them. But you, whenever it comes to... Build a whole community. It's a problem. So what's going to happen when you build a community? This is what people need to understand. When you go in and develop a community, you are increasing tax dollars. And when you have increased tax dollars in communities, your voice becomes much louder. Mm-hmm. And you don't have any value, then your voice is not really heard. Mm. So for me, it's extremely important for Madeline Cove is a statement. It is a social statement. It is an economic statement. It is a statement to say, hey, we are here. Mm-hmm. We ain't going nowhere. And guess what? Guess what? <laughs> we doing this all over the world. I'm mm-hmm. going to teach everybody how to do this all over the world. 
And so I had so many investors tell me, nah, T, we're going to sit this one out. We're going to see how it go. You're going to see how it go. I had investors was like, nah, like, I don't want to invest on that side of town. Like, I ain't trying to put that kind of money over there. First of all, dude. We know what's going on in Lafayette. Like, yeah. 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 First of all, this is your capital gains. Like, you know, I'm sassy. So I'm like, this is your capital gains. You about to give this to Uncle Sam anyway. Anyway. This not even your money. So if they say you can put the money that you about to give to Uncle Sam in a vehicle that can enrich a community and you choosing not to because you don't believe in it, you about to give the money away anyway. This makes no sense to me. At least roll a dice on yourself and try to make something. There's nothing lost if this don't go right. It was going to Uncle Sam. There's mm-hmm. no risk. That and makes you sense. You're 40 yeah. out of that. Oh, oh, it's, stop. it's crazy they was willing to let it go. Y'all. I'm telling y'all, let me just say this. That's that Lafayette other shit right there. (laughs) Let me say this. I went through a hundred no's, way more than a hundred, but a hundred solid no's of no, no, no. You know where the Opportunity Zones profit at in Lafayette, Louisiana? In the Oil Field Center. Do the Oil Field Center need any more tax dollars given to them? I just come over to take over everything. No. No. And I knew it was going to be some adjacent zones because we had another guest told us, like, if it's adjacent to an opportunity zone, it can flow through. It's, and that's some bullshit. It's all them. Nah, man, I got to I got to call Lafayette out on their bullshit. Y'all <laughs> full of shit, Lafayette. <laughs> Let me tell y'all this. There's some people that's on the government level mm-hmm. that really rock with the north side of Lafayette. And they rock with us and the initiative. And they have fought blood, tooth, and nails to help us get this through. There's some solid people. And then you got some not-so-solid people, Mm -hmm. right, who have their own agendas and who want to keep people suppressed for whatever reason, right, who's afraid of, you know, anything to take place, right? Like, lay off the park people. Like, let me not get into politics. But that's a whole nother thing, like taking away the Walmart from the north side. Look, don't get me started on this podcast. I'll never leave. Okay, like I'm just saying one thing. (laughs) One thing I'm passionate about. One thing I'm passionate about is being equal. Like we're not even asking for anything other than equality. Like that's Mm -hmm. it. Like treat us equally. And I say us, right? Poverty has no color, mm-hmm. right? Scott Turner said it best. Poverty has no color. I'm talking about the people who's living in areas that's working against them, who can't afford one single home because the average income on that particular side of town is twenty-two dollars to $25,000 for one individual. Some homes, too. And the average home sales price is $200,000. How can they ever afford home ownership if you're not going to make it affordable? Mm, And so with Madeline Cole, we didn't just make it affordable and we didn't use any government money. None. So when people hear us say we're building affordable housing, they they automatically associate that with subsidized housing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We ain't taking a penny from the government. The government is not about to come in here and control who we allow and who we don't allow in our community. When we say affordable, we're building homes that fits within that income bracket 
of the individuals who live there. Mm. That's who this is for. To create ownership in that community. That's can, right. Can you break down the difference between subsidized housing versus the affordable housing? Yes. So, all right. So when I say affordable, I mean literally affordable within your income. Okay. Meaning you don't need government assistance. Like we don't need subsidized assistance, meaning grant assistance from the government. Okay. Mm -hmm. They give you grants and tax dollars and all these different types of things to start building in communities. We're not using any of that. We're using our own money from our bank accounts and capital gains money, right? That would be paid to the IRS and we're developing the community. So affordable to us is building homes that are within your price range and your income bracket. Their income is not about to go up right now unless minimum wage go up. So why not meet them where they at? We have to have a hearts and mind change. So not only am I working with the community in regards to building these homes, I'm working on a mindset because mm -hmm. to be a homeowner, you have to be able to retain this. You remember how I said I was making five and six figures and I was blowing through it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have financial literacy. So what good would it do if we're building these homes for people in the community and they don't have financial literacy and they end up going bankrupt and are foreclosing? Nothing. You just put them right back where they was at. We put them right back where they were, but worse now, mm -hmm. because now they have this That'll major thing on their name. Mm -hmm. So we have to educate in all aspects, not just in within the community, but the people outside of the community who have this fear of something bigger than them taking place. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. That's powerful. That's impactful. So after those hundred no's, Jalen, just to finish the story, we end up securing the development, right? And we're investing $14.5 million into a community that haven't received tax dollars, investment dollars. They haven't received anything in decades. Yes. And now we're able to be able to provide a mixed-use community that consists of um, we're looking at bringing in a grocery store to the to the area because there's none within the Never a grocery store in the hood. Yeah, you know, we're looking at bringing in a coffee shop and a bookstore and not another liquor store and not another gas station. We're looking at bringing in um, a type of grocery store that's healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Like stop putting junk grocery stores in low-income areas and expecting people to get rid of this diabetes and all of this other stuff that's killing people within the community. So the partnerships that we're looking at bringing in are very strategic because it's meant to uplift the community and not deplete the community. Mm, that's mm. powerful. And I, I got so happy whenever you said the coffee thing, because I always tell David, I'm like, bro, there's no Black-owned coffee spots or no smoothie spots on the north side. I'm like, bro, we need that. Yeah, they have black coffee that's on downtown Lafayette. Okay, I forget about them. But downtown Lafayette to me is not North Lafayette. That's I'm not just saying, no. you can argue this, right? They'd be like, yo, you from New Orleans, you don't know. But I beg to differ, that's downtown Lafayette. That's yeah, downtown that, Lafayette, that's not That's totally North different. Lafayette. Yep. Dang. And they are part of the opportunity zone as well, downtown Lafayette. 
Hmm. And one of the coolest parts about it to me was like the grocery store aspect. Like that was really dope because of the whole thing as far as food deserts. And then like y'all said, even during the podcast, like no grocery shops in the hood or no quality grocery stores like in the hood. And that's, I just think that's really commendable that you're bringing that option to people so that they can have healthier food options. Absolutely. Absolutely. And shout out to any grocery stores that want to sit down and have a conversation at bringing their grocery stores to our communities. Yes. We got to make that happen. Yeah. If y'all are get that the grocery store, y'all reach out. Yes. <laughs> and I kind of want to go a little bit deeper with the whole generational wealth thing and what you're doing, because one of the things about that is, didn't you name one of the streets after your son? I did. I did. So one of the streets in the community is called Tyreek Road. And that's important to me because I made my son a promise up under that bridge that mm-hmm. we would never be homeless again mm-hmm. and that I will work my butt off day and night, day and night. So he never have to experience that hunger and, you know, homelessness and all of the stuff that we were going through. Like, I don't want him to have to experience the things that I had to experience in life. And so with that, we are going to have an unveiling of the street where I'm able to present to him his own street name. And it's going to be here forever, forever. People be able to ride on Tariq Road and know the story behind that, to know that that's my son's name. And we did this because of a promise, a mother's promise to her son. Hey, that is that's, a that's cold. <laughs> like, for one, I ain't never seen a name Tyreek on no street. That's, that's hard. the hardest part about it. Is, that's a black name on the street, for one. Yeah. I love that. The young man, y'all got to put like a plaque or something with it, like with your story. Like, hey, you need, you know how to be having that in Louisiana, like the little yeah. historical markers, then you yeah. get up y'all street. Y'all going to be out there whenever we have the big old grand opening and we getting started with construction and everything now as we speak. Whenever we have everything going on, y'all got to come out there. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, sure. 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 Yeah. So, we yeah. pull up with the, we got to come up with the crew. We got to get there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, uh, come through. Even speaking more to the generational world, because like we know, we, 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 we know a couple more things. Like I want to speak before we, because I want to get to the developers game as well. But I want to talk about your daughter. Because that a was a whole young dope, beast. That was a whole <laughs> other dope story that yeah. I, I heard. Like, so I saw it on Facebook. At, I saw you posted it on Facebook. At yeah. age 15, your daughter went get her first investment property after watching yeah. her mama just hustle like this. So can you can we talk about this a little bit? How did this all come together? Well, so it's funny because I was doing another workshop and um, it was called How to Play Monopoly in Real Life Part 2. And so... I told my kids, I said, look, I really want for you guys to come to this class. If you guys come to this class, I'm going to pay each one of you $100 because you're going to have to write an essay. You're going to have to create a business, right? And generate income. I need for y'all to know how to just generate income. If nobody's going to give you income, I need you to understand how to generate it. And I was like, oh, we don't want to go to this class. We don't want to go to this class. And so finally, I was like, well, you don't have no choice. I don't pay you no money. You still go. What you want to do? You know, <laughs> so it's like, all right, we take the money. We going. So they went to the class and my daughter heard, a, um, she heard one of the speakers speak on wholesaling. And she was like, wait, you don't need no money to sell a contract. And the wholesaler was like, no. She said, you mean to tell me, I just got to find somebody who's selling a property. And my mama, who's always buying property, I just tell her about it. And they said, yeah. 
And that was it at that moment. That was it. It was like this awkward quietness. The very next day after this conference, I received a long text message of properties. Okay. <laughs> and not only did I receive it in the class, we taught how to, you know, figure out the value and all other type of stuff. So she said, you know, she sent me over the comps. She sent me over why they selling. She sent me over the addresses and the sales price. And I'm like, oh, okay, she's serious, right? So I'm looking at them. I'm like, nah, none of these are really good for me to buy. So then finally she hit me up and she said, she called me. She said, look, Ma, I'm about to send you another property. If you're not interested, I'm going to sell it to somebody else. Mm. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> So then she tell me about the property. Now, mind you, I'm very familiar with street names in our community. I'm like, oh, this sounds good, right? And so she was like, they was asking a hundred and some thousand dollars for it, but I talked them down to about 80,000. Said, wait, you negotiating? <laughs> I know, I'm like, wait, you negotiating? It's like, you 15. Like she's 15 at the time, y'all. So I'm like, okay. So then I'm like, well, give me the information. So I get on the phone and I talk with the seller and he said, my, that's some daughter you have, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he said, she was not afraid to ask me to go down on my price. And I said, and I think most people are afraid to ask. Mm, your 50 year old daughter, Look, so, no money in the pocket, neither. None. So then we go ahead, we talk further. I do inspections. I find some stuff. And so we end up um, picking up the house at $65,000. Phenomenal deal. Okay. Phenomenal. I'm probably going to make like 55000 off this deal. Okay. Come on now. Yeah. Like phenomenal deal. My daughter not only negotiated that contract, she have a contract with me. Okay. That, so I'm the owner of her LLC. So she have an LLC, but she's under 18. Mm -hmm. So I have to be over it. In that, I will not only pay into our LLC, into our company, XYZ dollars from the sale of it, okay? The equity part of it, my percentage. She like, I need some of that too. Come on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh Oh, you put a, you built a beast though. You taught her. You <laughs> challenged her, and she was like, "Okay." <laughs> Look, my daughter hit me with an NDA, y'all. I was like, "Where they do this at? Where they hitting their mamas with NDAs at? Like, y'all tell me where they doing that at, okay?" I'm like, "You really want me to sign an NDA?" She's like, "Yeah, I can't have you telling my deals to nobody. You be on the internet too much." Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh, all right, beast." Like straight beast mode. She actually like talking with some other investors that I know. And one of my investors sitting on the side, he texted me like, is Atelier really 15? Like, is she really 15? I said, no, she's 16 now. She's 16 now. He was like, she don't be playing. She told me I had 24 hours to make a decision or it's going to the next investor. I said, mm. yep, that's how she do me too. I'm sorry. Hey, but that's, <laughs> that's hard. Lesson than that, like... You, she watched you do it and you created that. Not only that's like the lesson in generational wealth, mm -hmm. it's not just showing like by doing it and earning it for yourself. You taught her about these things, you made your children learn. So now yeah. that, like, at age 15, yeah, she ain't even got no objections to it in her Beast head. Mode. My yeah. mama doing this every day. Yeah. I yeah. see it's possible. What you talking about? Yeah, we'll do this. Yep. Yep. And the funny thing is, even with her, like she hit me this morning, like eight o'clock in the morning, we about to go take a look at this property. Look, here's the address. Let me know if you're interested. I'm like, okay. 
I'll let you know. That's crazy. That's wild. Tarek, I do have a quick question. In that you mentioned uh, when you went to the property, y'all did some inspections and you got the price down even lower. Can you talk about that some, like how that works for? Yep. So what happens is you have an inspect, well, you should have an inspection period for every property that you buy, right? Because you Mm want to go in there with your contractors and, you know, different people, termite people, you want different people to come and check out different things that can be blind spots that may cost you a lot of money in the deal. And sure enough, we found out that this house was being held up by jacks, car jacks, had like eight of them under the house. Wow. Because they had a really bad termite infestation and some of the floors were becoming unlevel, which to me, when I first walked into the property, I just thought it was an unlevel floor. I didn't know anything past it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we cut open a piece of the floor and we like, yo, we need to cut this floor to see what's up under it. They're like, yeah, sure, no problem. And we cut it. And sure enough, it's only had one owner. So the original owner of the property had jacks placed up under there because he didn't want to replace the support beams. That's, That's crazy. Wild. That's crazy. Goddamn Louisiana for you. <laughs> Goddamn Lafayette. That's a Lafayette. <laughs> yeah, let me tell y'all, I've never witnessed a property that was on jacks before. Okay, like shit for you. Like not even a hydraulic jack, like a regular car. No, it was look, that's not I don't know if it was hydraulic or not. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't really pay attention. I just know that thing was like and it was like eight of them under there. I mean, holding that bad boy like I'm like, so if you move this jack, that's going down, they're like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, bad. All right. Yo, y'all gotta take some of that price off. Yeah, Yeah, you gotta go down on that price, homeboy, like. And they had no issue. They were like just as surprised as I was. They're like, is that a real jack? Man, we couldn't believe our father would do something like that. I'm like, yes, your father did something like that. We need to talk. And we talked. For who? A car jack? Bro. For real? So like, different type of niggas in there. Like, yeah, man. A car jack? Yeah. Like, I don't know whether to be impressed because it was resourceful or just like, I what? Yeah. Hey, at the end of the day, it made a great deal. Mm -hmm. Hey, it did. So Mm -hmm. moving forward with like the whole generational wealth thing and like we see you got the game in the back. I want to talk about the game that you've done. Developers. Yes. Like you created your own board game. Let's get into that. And what was the catalyst for that? So, man, I have so many people that be in my DM like, can you help us get started with real estate investing? Can you teach us how you leverage that first rental property? What is leverage and all this? And so I was like, all right, like I'm trying to hit everybody DM back. I ain't responding to everybody as fast as I possibly can. I'm missing a ton of people because Instagram got this whole nother section where you don't see all the messages that come (laughs) and Facebook do it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. So now I'm like, man, I'm really missing the people, bro. And my only heart is to give what I have. Like if I took myself from being homeless to the person I am today, I just want to share the news. And so I went to sleep. I had a dream that I was standing like at the top of this mountain and it was crazy. I was surrounded by so many people, but we was playing like a game. And if you guys know me, like I am a beast in Monopoly. I don't know nobody that can beat me. And that's a challenge for anybody. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. I'm open to it. Oh, come on, Jerry. Let's go. You know. <laughs> I want the smoke. <laughs> I want the smoke. <laughs> you want the smoke? I'm bringing yes, it. Ma'am. All right, back. 
But I was like, um, I was like, yo, what if I create a board game? So I woke up the next morning. I'm big on Habakkuk 2-2, right? And I drew out my plan. I made it very clear. Like, okay, I want for this game to go through real life issues like I went through. So I was like, all right. So I wrote it down. I created it. I called one of my partners. I'm like, yo, I want to create a board game. He said, you just came up with this? I'm like, yeah, some, yeah, kind of like that. And he was like, all right, I'm going to come over back. I'm like, all right. So he was like, yeah, this is dope. So I called my other two business partners. I'm like, yo, I want to do a board game. This is what it's going to look like. What y'all think? And it's like, all right, cool. Let's do it. Like, let's see what it is. Right. So we call manufacturers. We get these retarded prices. Everybody telling us it take 18 months to 24 months to get it going. I'm like, yo, I don't got that long. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm beyond interested by then. Like, I ain't going to lie. I, ain't, I don't, you know, I'm beyond. So yeah. finally I reached out to an attorney, shout out to Corey Jack, who um, put me on with my attorney firm, my patent attorney firm. And I said, how fast can you guys get me a patent for my board game design and things like that? They was like, we'll do it for you in 30 days. It's like, all right, how much is this going to cost? It's going to cost you a lot, but we can get it done in 30 days. Mm. I was like, all right, I'll win it. So let's do it. Okay. So then it was like, the next thing was the manufacturers. Oh, it's going to take, you know, six to 12 months to get a prototype. Like six to 12 months. I need somebody hungry like me. So we found a manufacturing company that was going through some, whatever they was going through. And it was like, look, we can get you a prototype within the next 30 days if you got all your designs. Like, all right, bet. So my partner went to work with the people in China. I went to work with the people with the design. And then my other partner went to work with the customs and shipping and all that because he's in the oil business and he do international sales. And so we all just had our own plugs and plays mm-hmm. and we're all working at different angles. And then finally, we got our prototype back in. We're like, yo, this thing is nice. And so what developers does is it teaches you how to leverage real estate and doing it in a fashion where you go through real life circumstances. So there's life cards, there's liabilities, and there's assets, right? What happens is life can be good or bad. So if you pull a life card, you don't know what you're pulling, okay? Then you got liabilities where we just don't know. We're spending money constantly on these liabilities that keeps us in the rat race. And then we got assets. The assets is what allows you to keep money in your pocket and continue putting money in your pocket. And so you got to make your way around the board, acquiring different properties in different industries so you can end up with the keys to the city. So you got to have a rental property. You got to have a multifamily property. You got to have a commercial property and you got to have a development about a black property. If you don't get all four, you can't get the keys to the city, but you got to try to get all four of them without going bankrupt. And the problem is a lot of people play without a strategy and they end up going bankrupt. And that's what happens in real life. Mm. That's dope. And that's, that's, that's powerful. How can I get one of these games? <laughs> you can get one by going to developersboardgame.com, developersboardgame.com and clicking the link and ordering it. It's not just the board game though. It's a lot. It's a game that teaches you how to keep on going when everything else gets hard. It is a curriculum inside of a board game. It's what I call it because of, at the end of the day, what you learn it, you're going to be able to retain forever. Like we got so many success stories already. The game mm-hmm. haven't even been out 90 days. So many success stories. It's been sold nationwide. It's been sold globally. I mean, we got orders in China. We got orders in Canada. We got orders in Mexico. We even had one in um, Germany. 
right? Hey, yeah. Good. You know, so the game has made its way um, literally around the world. And I think it's, you know, it's bringing a fun vibe into the family homes. You know, a kid hit me up on Instagram and was like, I freaking love this game. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I love you too. <laughs> you know, uh, and then, you know, I got another picture this morning where somebody was like, Man, you don't know that bankrupt life until you play developers. And they passed out on the floor because they just hit bankrupt and they almost had the keys to the city. So it's a good game, but it's a teaching game. It's not just mm-hmm. a game. It teaches. It's a real course. Like it's a whole course within the box. I love that's it. pressure. Educating families. Yeah. Like, I love that you're visiting. We gotta give one away, man. We're gonna yeah. do a link in the bottom. Y'all look, y'all gonna sign up and we're gonna give a we're gonna give a game away. Yeah. Yes, we good. got you. You help and educate families. I love it. I love that your vision and your you took your vision and your testimony and you've been able to help so many others with it and been able to put people on. This is beautiful, man. Yes, absolutely. Well, Jerry, Jalen, y'all got any different questions before I well, get into I, what's on your timeline, man? I do have one you more have question. One more like, because, yeah, I, I got one too. It's around the whole development piece. Like we talked about the, the big, the Madeline Cove, but I kind of want to go into what was your very first development and some of the lessons that you had to learn from that so you can make it to this level. Yeah. So the first development, I invested with quite a few partners who had more control than me. And I would say the biggest lesson I learned was that if it's your project, you control it. Mm. Don't allow nobody else to control it because there was decision made that was not my decision. And, you know, again, ownership is key. Ownership is key, right? That was one of the first lessons I learned. The second thing I learned was the engineering process, the planning and zoning and all this other stuff, you know, like those were very great learning curves for me and to know what to expect going through the process um, and knowing who all to have on your team and who not to have on your team, mm-hmm. you know? And then I would say, you know, the third thing with development, you know, I learned is absorption, right? A lot of people overbuild right away because they can't. But if you keep up with absorption, which means you build a property, you sell a property, you build a property, you sell a mm-hmm. property, you're keeping up with absorption. You build 10 properties and you only have one. You're not keeping up with absorption. You have a whole lot of interest. You're going to be paying on those properties. So you're going to start losing money and the development can go mm-hmm. under. So pay attention to what you're doing and making sure you understand it and making sure you have some type of counsel on your team that can give you advice on you know, the whole entire project overview. Mm. So I'm gonna go a little bit deep. I just got to know, like, so if I wanted to just get started, who would I want to have on my team if I'm trying to develop something? Like who would be the right pieces to first, say? I would, yeah, first I would say experience. Like, don't just hop in a real estate game as a developer. Like, I don't recommend that for nobody. You know, if you're wanting to hop in and be a developer, then work with a developer with you on that project. Don't do it by yourself. Pride leads to destruction. And you'll have a whole lot of blind spots that you could not foresee. So experience, you know, is number one, whether it's you and or someone else who have development experience. You need an architect on your team. You need an engineer on your team. You need legal on your team. You need designers on your team. The architect can frame up the house and everything like that, but the designs, colors, and all that kind of stuff, you need a designer on your team. You need a realtor on your team, somebody that's going to bring the marketing, you know, and make sure that it's, you know, top notch. You know, you got to have the right builders on your team, you know, making sure that your contractors are doing a fantastic job, you know, doing that property. So it's a lot of people that you need on your team, but those would be some of the top ones. Okay. Thank you. 
Hey, appreciate that. That's a, yeah, man. The teams. Yeah. What you got, Jay? I ain't gonna lie. I, I got a lot of questions, yeah. but I ain't gonna keep you all day. Yeah, I gotta get part of this soon. I'll let Jay go. Yeah, I got you. My last question I was just going to ask was just for like any of the audience who's like not as well versed on, I guess, real estate or how things work. I know you said at one point you were fixing and flipping and then you transitioned to developing. Can you kind of explain the key differences in those to people like as far as fixing and flipping versus like fully actually doing development? And you kind of spoke to it as far as like code and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so flipping is, you know, you're buying one single property that's already built. Okay. And it needs some type of renovations to be brought up to, you know, market value, right? It's below market value. You're getting it at a discount rate and now you're going to go in and make it pretty. That's a rehab. That's a flip. Development is when you go into an area where it's raw land and you build the streets out yourself, you go in and put the roads, you put the sidewalks and you build the houses from the ground up. That's a development. And so the difference between the two is night and day. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate that. Yeah, for the clarity. So now <laughs> I'm going to the last question that I got for you, Terrica. So okay. I want to ask you, and we ask everybody, what's on your timeline? What's something that you've seen on social media, something that's going on in life, anything that you've seen that you just want to speak on? I would say the thing that's on my timeline that I feel I would say very passionate about and that I would speak on is that, man, so what I don't do is get into politics or anything like that. Like I don't, you know, have social media wars or anything like that, but I would say the South is equally as important as the rest of the world. Mm. And I would say that because (laughs) the oil field industry is what keeps us breathing, believe it or not. And with the moratorium on oil and having oil shut down can suffocate any marketplace that, you know, 60% of its reliance is on that. And, you know, I think over the years, the South has become more diverse into the medical field, but you have a lot of families that rely on the oil field to provide for their families, you know, and everybody's affected when the oil field is shut down in the South, the grocery store workers. Everybody, everybody, everybody's affected. That's money circulating. Yes, not just the oil field workers. And so I think it's equally important to know that the South matters too. Hmm. I ain't even think about it like that. I ain't even going to lie to you. (laughs) You you think about it from just the environmental standpoint. Yeah. It is a lot of people that rely on oil. I mean, just think about like how many. Yeah, I I know a lot of people. I know they work in the oil. Like they work offshore. Yeah. We're going to have to find some type of, you know, happy medium. Yes, we do. Got to help the South out. Yeah. But Terrica, please let the people know where they can follow you, where they can keep up with you, everything that you got going on. Yes. So, guys, you can follow me on Instagram at female real estate mogul, or you can just simply type in Terrica Lynn Smith into all platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, my website is terricalinsmith.com. I'm super easy to find because there's not a whole lot of Smith. So you can even type it in on Instagram and that's where you can find me at and stay up to the latest. Yeah, I love it. I Thank love you it. so much again, Terrica, for yeah, coming on the podcast. This, this yes, has been amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you for sharing your story, your testimony and educating our audience. Yes. And please let us know when, when that development, yeah, development going to be. be yeah, we got to pull up.
All right. No, y'all definitely in there. Y'all just got to make sure y'all come down. You know, y'all big time now. Y'all all over the rest of the world, you know, so. Nah, Lafayette's still in our heart. You yeah. know, the boot is the, this home. We're going to be back. Let us, all we need is a date. That's right. it. Bet. Bet. I got y'all. Let's get into some house cleaning before we get up out of here. Man, this has been an amazing episode yeah. for everybody. Everybody, I just want to say thank y'all again for tuning in to the Black Off Renaissance Podcast. I know this is a special one for y'all, a little special to us. Yeah, man. Uh, Our sister story. I didn't even know all of that stuff happened. Like, I just knew the, the background, but I didn't know all of that. Yeah, so that was, that was a very touching story. I really enjoyed this episode. I did as well. If you did, if you enjoyed this episode, you please let, yeah, yeah, let us know. Let us know. Leave a rating review. If y'all know anybody else with a strong, a powerful testimony, y'all think they'd be fitting for the podcast, y'all send them my way. We want to hear from our people. But um, other than that, I want to say the uh, podcaster's playbook. Yeah, y'all definitely purchase the podcaster's playbook. If you would like to learn, if you would like to start a podcast, if you're interested in it, tap in. Y'all click that link below to get the podcaster's playbook. Also, if y'all just want to learn a little bit, I got a free webinar just so you can get a little taste and see what's actually all in the course, but it's speaking about monetization, editing, how to market your podcast and really just launch it and build it from the ground up. Y'all tap into that. Also, I want to give a shout out. I ain't done it in a while, bro. To one of our last comments, man, on the podcast, just give a shout out to the 5050 Club. Somebody said this was such a joy. Their neighbor sent them the podcast. Keep up the amazing job. And so I just want to give you a shout out 5050 Club and shout out to your neighbor for sending you the podcast as well. Yeah, hey, sure. appreciate, hey appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all. You're, you're you, the truth. Unity in the community, man. I love to see it. Keep spreading the message and the word. That's what we're here for. That's what we're going to keep doing. Like we just said, hey, man, we love y'all. Yeah. We rock with y'all. Yeah. We're going to be back next week with another one. Thank y'all for having me. I love you guys. Thank you, you so much. We love you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.